Welcome to the You on the Camino de Santiago podcast, season two, helping pilgrims get ready for their first pilgrimage walk on the Camino. With your host, Camino guide and longtime pilgrim, Nancy Reynolds of the Camino Experience. Pilgrims, and welcome back. In case I haven't said this in a while, thank you for tuning in. I have heard from some of my listeners that they've been sharing this podcast series with friends and family who are thinking about walking the Camino. I love that. This is Nancy, and if you haven't already shared the podcast, please do. You can share it with people you know, and you can share it with your Facebook friends and groups, and you can share it with complete strangers. I mean, why not? I notice that there are easy-to-use buttons available on the major podcast players that allow you to share this podcast with Facebook and emails and other ways that we connect these days. Another thing you can do to help get this podcast out to more people is to leave a rating or review on whatever podcast app you use to listen in. That helps people to know it's worth listening to. And if I knew who you were, I would personally thank everyone who has left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for those. In the last episode, I mentioned that I was heading to the Camino soon but I had not yet planned anything, which is completely unlike me. But now I have. On May 10th, I arrive in Pamplona, my favorite city on the Camino. I'm going to spend about a week in the stretch from Saint-Jean-Pied-du-Port to Pamplona because I will be finalizing my research for the Camino Frances audio guide I'm working on. If you would like to be the first to hear about that once it's ready, be sure you have grabbed one of my free offers, the top 10 Camino tips that don't usually show up on the top 10 list, or the Camino planning roadmap, because when you get one of those, you are automatically on my email list. How do you get those free offers? Easy. I'll put the link in the show notes for the Camino planning roadmap. And then once you've got that free guide, within about a week, the top 10 tips will also show up in your inbox. Now, if you are listening to this podcast episode for the first time after June 2023, and you are not on my email list, you can swing by my website to learn more about the audio guide. That's thecaminoexperience.com. Okay, let's get on to what's on tap for this episode. What do you do if you don't have a lot of time available to walk the Camino? Or what if you simply don't see yourself on pilgrimage for the full 30 to 40 days it would take to walk the entire Camino Frances? My guest today has found the perfect solution. Coming to you from close to Chicago, Illinois, in the U.S., is Laura, who will be sharing with us her plans 
for the pilgrimage she will be doing with her adult daughter, Emily. And she asked a couple of great questions, so I've got some more long answers for you. Let's get started. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Nancy. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad you agreed to chat with me about your Camino experience that's coming up. Yes, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm and also excited that I found you mm. on Spotify before my trip. So excellent. Yeah, I'm really glad that you did. And just in case anyone who is listening is having trouble finding the podcast the second time, because sometimes we find it and then we can't find it again. It is available on all podcast players, all the main ones, Spotify, Apple, Google, and also on my hosting company, Podbean, so you can find it. So yeah, so I'm glad everybody has joined us. And I think you're going to really enjoy Laura's story. She's got some unique and original angles that we haven't covered yet in the podcast. So Laura, I'm going to ask you to start by doing what I call put the pin in the map, which is share with us when you'll be walking, what route you're walking, and how much time you'll be taking, and who you're walking with. So I'm do- taking the trip with my daughter, Emily, and it's something, it's something I've wanted to do for many years, and then the pandemic came up, and then she got married last summer, so we were consumed with that. So this year we said, we're going to do it. We are doing just a portion of the trip from Saria to Santiago, approximately 70 miles. And we are going to go through a group named Spanish Steps. So we will be walking as a group and then they will pick us up at the end of our day. And then we will go out to stay at a Casa Ruel's. I know I'm totally butchering the the language. No, you're doing great. And then we will stay there for the evening, shower, have dinner, and then they will take us back to our next point. And so it's very specific what cities we will be stopping and starting in. Gotcha. Okay. So to make sure I understand, so you and your daughter, Emily. Okay. You and your daughter, Emily, are going to be going to the Camino together, meeting a group of people you haven't met yet and walking the trail. And then they will get you to accommodations and, and assist along the way. Correct. Excellent. Do they also move your luggage for you? Yes. And that was kind of one of the key, key components, as well as not having to worry about accommodations is they will take our bag from point to point. So we'll, we'll just carry a little day pack. I think that's a tremendous way to go. Personally, I carried my backpack the first seven years I was on the Camino. And then when I started leading groups, I started using luggage transport and I've never gone back because it really provides a little bit more comfort and freedom when walking. Yeah. And I think it allows you to focus on something else and people will argue, but you're, you have to carry your backpack. That's the real experience. And I'm going to assert you can do it both ways and get the real experience. Well, and I just, I figured if I kind of talked to my daughter about this and I thought this was a way that I would be excited about doing it knowing I can walk it while it still will be 
you know, a lot of walking day after day after day. I am not minimizing that. <laughs> it takes that element of carrying everything on my back and then as well as walking and then also being concerned of where we were staying every night. It just, it just removed some stress that I would normally have. I think that's great. And I think you'll hear all different kinds of reactions to how you do it and how everybody else does it. And it seems to me that what's evolving is the understanding that it is your Camino experience mm -hmm. and you can do it the way you want and, and not to downplay, but you're still going to be walking what, 10, 15 miles a day? Yes. Yeah. I'd like to do a survey of, okay, guys, who can go walk 10 to 15 miles a day for seven days right now? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> it's, a, it's a feat. It takes something. So what, um, will you back up in time to when you first heard about the Camino or first started thinking about doing it? What was it that had you go, hmm, I think I'd like to do that? My cousin had done it quite a few years ago, and she, I just felt like it would be a, a doable physical challenge for me. I am Catholic and Christian, so I thought it would that component would, you know, kind of excited me. I haven't been to Spain, so that, you know, to go to to visit Spain. So it was it was multifaceted of, of what kind of intrigued me. And then a few years ago, my daughter and I did an Avon breast cancer walk, which is mm. I know, totally different. And that was, you know, one day, 26 miles, the next day, you know, and it was a total of 39. And we had so much fun doing it and training for it that she was like the first person I asked. Oh, she loves to walk. It's something we travel well together. I thought she might like it. So it kind of, a lot of components came into it. I love it. I love it. So it's got a nice mix of, there is the spiritual religious piece of it. There's the sense of fun and adventure. And then to walk with your adult daughter, mm -hmm. that sounds like a great experience. What kind of things have you and your daughter, you and Emily talked about in getting ready for the trip? Have you talked about how things will go or what you'll do if this happens? Any of those kinds of conversations? We haven't done that. We did. They, my kids had given me new, like for Christmas, they said, you know, you get to buy new pairs. So we did go shopping together and we both got new shoes for walking and we haven't really gotten into what will this happen? But I've traveled with her so much. And she, I'm like, if there's something goes wrong, I can't think of a better person to be with because she is so calm and savvy and we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, that's great. So then I, what I really should be asking you is what advice do you have for people who are traveling with a family member? And maybe they haven't traveled together before. What advice would you have for them? What, what questions should they be considering before they go? I think just kind of how you're, you know, kind of how you're going to communicate. I think you kind of have to have this little bit of ebb and flow. If someone is getting tired or hangry, you know, that's real. It is real kind of to 
to give them some space to not, you know, we got to talk about this or this is so wonderful because even though you are traveling in a great place, sometimes it can be things just happen and it doesn't seem as wonderful at the moment. Boy, that's so true. And we're out of our element. We're out of our comfort zone. We're out of our own bed. Yes. And maybe we don't know where to find food at the moment that we are so hungry and, and then we get, uh, yeah. Yeah. So just sort of ebb and flow with it. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. And, and it sounds like go with someone you already like would be helpful yeah. too. It would be a big test to walk the Camino and be traveling for the first time with someone. Yes. I would recommend doing like a little weekend someplace before you commit to that. A tester. Yes. <laughs> Test run. Yeah. Good. So I'm curious about Spanish steps because there are a number of companies that run groups from Sadia to Santiago. What had you choose Spanish steps? I reached out to a local travel ag- agency in our area and they had recommended people had gone on the, on the trip before. So they had good feedback. And then it was wonderful because I asked Spanish Steps if they could give me some names. And they offered this names of people who had gone on the trip, you know, through them before. And so they were able, so I was able to email several people. And I, you know, said specifically someone in my age range and ability and, you know, ask those questions. What did you take that you didn't need? What do you wish you had? How did you prepare? Any of the things that it's just nice to get from like one-on-one, you can ask that question. So, and I got some good, good information and people said, give me a call, you know, very, very helpful. Oh, that's great. So it's a good indicator if the company is willing to give you the email addresses of their clients. And those clients will have had to have agreed to give those out. So that's a good testimony that you've got satisfied customers. And several of the people have done multiple trips with them. Great. To different countries. And interesting, they also sent me someone who had done it with, I think one woman did it with her three boys. So it was kind of fun to hear someone else doing, you know, a parent with, children, you know, adult. Oh, so it was an uh, adult boys. Yes. Oh, yes. that's great. So yeah. So those connection points where we can see our own story in someone else's story helps us make decisions across the board, whether it's a company to hire, whether it's how to get to the trail. Yeah, that's great. Many moons ago in my twenties, you know, I had backpack through Europe and carried mm. backpack and while it was a great experience and I loved it and I had a great buddy that I did it with, I didn't know if I could do that, you know, carry my backpack. So this is, I wanted to do it in just a little different way. That's great. And every Camino experience, like I, I hinted at earlier, is unique, is different, and it's all yours. Mm-hmm. So you'll have your experience. Has Spanish Steps talked with you at all about what their day is like? Do their groups usually walk together or are they encouraging you to spread out on the trail at your own pace? Have they shared any of those details with you? 
I have not gotten any of that. Okay. Oh, I can't wait to hear how it goes. I'm actually hoping you'll come back after your walk and we can talk again and see how it went because I think you're my first guest who has pre-booked everything, which is really important for people to know how that works and if it's an option for them. So maybe you'll be willing. Sure, I would love to. Yeah. So my next question for you is when we think about the completion of this walk, so you walk into Santiago and you walk in, there's the cathedral in this giant square where all the pilgrims are arriving and connecting and meeting. I'd like you to imagine yourself there. What's going through your mind? What's on your heart at that point? Oh, I just think just such gratitude to be able to have this one to do it, have the opportunity, and then to share it with my daughter. Mm. I'm getting teary right now. <laughs> That's where the Camino is. That's when we get to the heart of it. That's where our hearts engage. When we find that emotion, when we talk about it, when we think about it, when we see ourselves doing it and finishing it and completing it, yeah. It's beautiful. I'd love to meet Emily too. So what do you, what happens next after the Camino for you? Any thoughts on I'm doing this because, and then I'll do this. Any thoughts along those lines? Not really, but I have several friends who said, I would love to do it with you, you know, next year and, you know, do it the same way. So we'll see. I don't know. I would like to try maybe, you know, a different country, not obviously, you know, it's not the Camino, but there's other walks and, and things to experience. So I don't know. I haven't, I haven't gotten that far. <laughs> That's okay. Sometimes people go into the Camino having a big goal for after this one. So they already know that the Camino will lead them onto something else. And for many people, it is more walking. It is more traveling, getting out into the world more. And the walk from Saria to Santiago may be exactly and enough of what you need of the Camino experience. And it could also prompt you to come back and walk different routes. But the thing is, we don't know because we don't know the heart of each person. Yeah, very good. Well, as you're getting ready, I it, I can hear how much relief comes from having a company organize things for you and organize the accommodations and the luggage transport. And I imagine they'll be meeting you in Sadia. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Yeah. So in all of that, that stuff is handled from your perspective in getting ready. What kinds of, have you come across any challenges or frustrations in getting ready? Well, it was a little, I wish I had found you earlier, but I did have a little, it was a little tricky to, you know, book the flights. The other thing we were kind of, um, my daughter, my daughter is a teacher and her last day of school is June 7th. And so we picked the tour that leaves on June 10th. Mm -hmm. So she's teaching and leaves it. And then we have a flight that night, which is wow. amazing that she's doing that. So it was a little tricky to figure out the best way to get from Madrid 
to Lugo and we're staying over a night in Lugo. And then that's where they're actually going to pick us up at, at, in Lugo. So that's a little, you know, the timing of it and what's the best train versus bus. But I did persevere and I got that all taken care of. And also the the tail end of it, you know, after we are in Santiago for a night and then heading, you know, to Madrid the following day. So a little bit of those logistics, because I just want it to be, you just want things to be smooth. Yes, you do. And when you start to map out travel within Spain, you get into a bit of a rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. There are a dozen different ways to do anything. And so you may hear, oh, you need to take the train from here to here and then the bus from here to here. But what if your timetable doesn't line up? What if your flight doesn't arrive at the right time for that train or that bus? Yeah, it can be a little tricky for sure. It's great that you've got that all worked out. Yes. That was another big sigh after I figured that out. So. Yes. So I'm curious, you said that you uh, had wished that you found the podcast earlier. What makes you say that? What have you found in the podcast that would have been valuable for you earlier on? Maybe some of the preparation, maybe the logistics of where to fly, you know, fly into where to take the train or versus the bus. Mm. When I've traveled in Europe, I always think the train is the most efficient. Mm. And then I also think they're very scenic. They're just, you know, and it's beautiful way to travel. But then some people were saying, no, you want to take the bus. Mm. So I, you know, and it was just, I kind of wish, you know, especially since you address things from, you explain it so well and you, mm. thank you, do it from, someone doing it for the first time, because like anything, you know, you go to a foreign city and you, it's a, and then the next time you go, you're like, oh, I want to stay in this area and I want to eat here. And that I don't need to see, or these are where the shops are. But when you go for the first time, you have to figure all that out. (laughs) You do. And I've noticed that sometimes first time pilgrims don't know how to even phrase the question to get the information they know that they need. Mm -hmm. And so I try to take it, you know what, I know what you're looking for. That's not what you're asking, but I know what you're looking for. So I try to do it that way. I'm really glad that that comes across and that's useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I love, I love the perspective of the first time pilgrim. I just love it. Yeah. And trying to figure it all out. We also have this idea that we have to get it right. It has to be the best way and maybe for some people the cheapest way and the best way isn't always the best way or the cheapest way. Maybe there are four different ways we could do it. So yeah, it's kind of fun. It's actually one of my hobbies is to move around the Camino and figure out how to move to all these places and how do I get from here to here. And for those listening, Lugo is actually a very sweet city. It's got a beautiful walled center that you can walk around and there's shops and bars and restaurants and just lovely to be in the historic center of a city in Spain. It's got such a wonderful feel and a wonderful introduction to the lifestyle of Spain. And the bus station is right there. Did you say you're taking the bus or the train to Lugo? 
We are taking the bus. The bus, yeah. Yeah, so the bus station is right by the historic center, the walled center. It's really easy to get to. Yeah, and there's, interestingly, an Italian restaurant at the bus station. <laughs> in case oh. you need a little taste of Italy when you land there. <laughs> yeah, very good. So they'll meet you in Lugo, and they yes. will take you in their van to Saria? Yes. Okay, yes. perfect. I hope you don't mind if I mention for those who are not meeting a group and not getting picked up, the bus also runs from Lugo to Saria and it runs several times a day. The company is called Monbus. It's M-O-N-B-U-S. So if you land in Lugo and you need to get to Saria, just go to the Monbus window and they'll set you up with those timetables. It's a weird hobby I have, I know. Any other challenges or frustrations that you've come across? I did have a question just about using trekking poles. Oh, I love trekking poles. What's the question? Just, I've never used them. Should I try to use them? Will they be helpful? Is it necessary for my short jaunt? It's a really good question. The thing about trekking poles is my opinion is you want to know the answer to this before you go. So what I would recommend is practicing, either borrowing a pair of trekking poles or we're really fortunate in the U.S., the company REI, Recreational Equipment Incorporated, allows you to buy the gear and try it out. And if you don't like it or if it doesn't work, you can return it. And that, that's a uniquely American thing. What I would do is get a pair and try them out. And before you try them out, I would recommend watching a video on how to adjust the straps to get the most benefit. See, there's a couple ways you can use the straps, but there's one way that I think gives you the best benefit. And then how do you set them? Do you set them high? Do you set them low? Do you make them long or short? to really get a sense of what the poles will do for you. So they're essentially, I think it's three main things that they do. One is the poles will give you additional balance. So when your arms go all the way to the ground, because you've got the poles, that's four points of contact instead of two on the ground to help you balance. Now for you, you're carrying a day pack. So it's not going to have the same impact as a fully loaded backpack would with say 15 pounds or eight kilos. A loaded backpack can throw off your center of gravity. And so you might, you know, lean off the trail a little bit and fall. Whereas if it's just you or just you with a day pack, you can right yourself pretty easily. The trekking poles allow you to catch yourself if you're leaning to one side or the other. Second thing that trekking poles do is when you go up hills, you can push with them with your arms. So instead of just your legs doing all the, all the heavy lifting, your arms are pushing the poles into the ground and propelling you forward with your upper body and core strength. And then the third thing I love about poles is when you go downhill, you can extend them, make them longer, and then you place them out in front of you. And it works sort of like a, I call it my portable banister. So it's something to hold on to going down a steep hill and it will pull off some of the pressure on the knees going down the hill. Now I've got a great video for you and for everyone listening, I'll put it in the show notes. It's a, this woman, I can't remember her name, but her handle is the perpetual pilgrim. And she's just this wonderful, joy-filled, fun woman 
who recorded a video about how to use trekking poles on the Camino. And I'm going to admit very freely that I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to how to use trekking poles. And this woman hits it. And so I'm going to share that with you because I really like this. I've seen many videos where I have my, I'm shaking my head going, no, 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 don't do that on the Camino. Because when you're walking for that long of a time, you want your trekking poles to work for you. You don't want to be carrying them across Spain, even if it's only the last 100 kilometers. So there's a long answer, <laughs> which I'm prone to, as you know. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Yes. Yes. Perfect. Okay, good. Any other questions that you have? I'm just curious, how wide is the walking path? How many mm. is it? You know, because I know the the path, it's the last 100 kilometers, right? Yeah. So it's going to be busier than some of the other points. I'm just curious, how wide is the path? We're going in early June, so I know that's going to be a busy, busy time. It's a really good question. And it's a good question because it varies over the course. So if you started in Saint-Jean, the answer would be different and broader. Mm -hmm. The part from Sadia to Santiago has a nice combination of paved roads and when I say paved roads, what I mean is a, a one-lane road or a two-lane road where you walk off to the side on the left. And that's important to know that in Europe, legally, you walk on the left facing traffic so you can see them coming to you. So some of it will be on pavement. Some of it will be on sidewalks as you walk into and through cities or towns. And some of it will be on paved parts that go along roads. So you might be just off the side of a two-lane road. And the width is probably wide enough in some places for three or four people to walk side by side, which I think most seasoned pilgrims will say, please don't do that because then nobody can get through, you know? Mm -hmm. But what I find to be fun and a little entertaining about this last part, the highest number of people walk on the Frances statistically that's why it's so busy, is oftentimes you see groups of people who it seems as though their joy is in being there with their group. They could probably be anywhere, but they're having such a good time with their group and they don't notice that they're blocking the whole path. And so it's, it's one of the lessons I think of Saria de Santiago is to be with this kind of pilgrim, this kind of traveler who probably is in the midst of their version of a transformational experience, but it doesn't look like mine. And therefore I have some opinions about it. So it's kind of a fun thing, I think, to see what's going on, Saria de Santiago. There are a couple places where you do have a narrower path, where you will have to cross over, say, a creek, and there might be large stones. And that's a single file crossing across the creek. And But now what they've done is, there are options. So if you are, heck no, I'm not climbing over stone bridges to cross without no railing. I'm not doing that. They do have signposts up now that direct you. This way is a little bit longer, but it's not taking you over a creek. And mm -hmm. if you are pretty stable on your feet, you shouldn't have any problem with that. There is one other place, and it's just before the town of Porto Marin. So that would be in the first 20 kilometers, probably your first day. 
where there's a big sign that says there are two choices. One has a steep descent, short, steep descent after you walk a little ways. The other one is rocky, slide on your bum, get down this little hill type thing. And so everyone I've talked to who has gone that rocky slide on your bum thing has regretted it and wish they had gone to the right. So the, the moral of the story is to just be on the lookout for signs that tell you what the trail conditions are ahead. And they'll have photos even. So you can look at the photos and go, oh, oh okay, that was a, yeah, I remember hearing about that stone bridge. Okay, I'm not going that way or I am going that way. I'm not scared. Yeah, so just, if you just pay attention to the signs, you'll start to see some of that. Does that answer your question? Yes, yes, that's helpful. Very good. Fortunately, I just walked Sadia de Santiago last fall. I had not walked it since 2014 and I loved it. It was so beautiful. It was, I did, I took eight days to do it because I like to take my time and I like to enjoy where I am and finish early and start late and talk to people. And it was all farmland and forests and it was so beautiful. Yeah. I'm excited for you. This is getting me very excited. <laughs> Yay! I have another kind of logistical question. So one of the last pieces of is I need to make a hotel for the night. We're flying out the next morning from Madrid. So we need, we're staying mm. in Madrid. And I didn't know if you have a recommendation is stay by the airport and our flight is not real early. Or if you have an area in Madrid that you recommend. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> so I am a big fan of Madrid because I love the different neighborhoods that are there. And I love that it's so easy to get from the center of Madrid to the airport. And you essentially have three ways that you can do that. You can get on the Metro or Cercanias train. and that would just require going online to the metro map or going to the metro station and mapping out which numbers and how close you are to a station. The other way is to take a taxi. And the last time I took a taxi, it was a flat rate of 30 euros, two people, three people, doesn't matter, 30 euros, including luggage, no extra charge for luggage. It might be up to 35 by now, but they pick you up where you are, take you right to the airport, super easy. The other way is my favorite way when I'm on a budget, which is the airport express shuttle bus, which runs from the Atocha train station all the way to the airport. And depending on traffic, it could take anywhere from say 20 to 45 minutes. Usually I find I'm there within 30 minutes and it takes you right to the terminal as well. Five euros per person. And you can pay with cash or tap a credit or debit card when you get on the bus. And I love that also because it's the closest thing and it's within walking distance of my favorite area of Madrid, which is the area called Las Letras, which is the letters. If you okay. look on a map for Plaza de Jesus, which is Jesus, okay, Jesus, and find something in that area, you'll okay. also notice that you're close when you're within walking distance to the Prada Museum to El Retiro, which is the big park, and the museum, which is Sofia Reina, I think is what it's called. So those are three main sites in Madrid if you happen to be 
long enough in Madrid to see those. It's also walking distance to Seoul, S-O-L, which is one of the main plazas with all the metro connections. And it is walking distance to Plaza Mayor, which is just the main square of any Spanish city. I always have to see it. I just love the main squares. And that means all the shopping areas are right there too. It's also walking distance through a one, to a wonderful market that is close to the Plaza Mayor. And that market has, it's like a giant food court for adults. And so you walk up and you order your drink and a tapa, and then you can go to the next place and walk up and order a drink and tapa. And there's Spanish ham and different cheeses and mushrooms and, you know, all these different delicious things you could fill up on. And all walking distance from that neighborhood that's by Plaza de Jesus. So that's where I always start is looking there. And then my trick for finding places in Madrid, I go on, I sort of do a cross analysis of booking.com and hotels.com. And then I use Google Maps to make sure I'm in the area where I want to be. One of my tricks that I learned on the Camino is there's this wonderful class of accommodations called Ostal, H-O-S-T-A-L, which is a small hotel. What's different between a, an Ostal and a hotel is there won't be 24-hour reception and there probably won't be an English speaker on site. Now, if you can live without those two things and there won't be a restaurant, there won't be a bar on site but you're in the middle of Madrid. And so you walk out the door and the next door over is the bar, the restaurant, or the fancy hotel. And so the Ostal, what I love about it is the price. So I have stayed in hotels in Madrid that have cost, you know, 120 euros a night. You could pay three, 400 euros per night. The last time I stayed in an Ostal, it was 60 euros per night for a private room with private bath. Now, again, nothing fancy, but it was clean. It was perfectly located. And so if you do a Google map search or whatever mapping software you use, type in the word Ostal and have it search around Plaza de Jesus, you'll find a few choices and you can read the reviews and see what sounds good to you. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yes. Yes. Perfect. Great. Any other questions? You take tour, you take groups. How does that work? Yeah. So when I started doing this in 2013, my observation was that the hardest part of walking the Camino was getting started. And I realized that people want to be free on the trail. They want to have the freedom to go and figure it out and enjoy themselves. But what if I could just get them started? And mm -hmm. so I called the program, Just Get Me Started. And I, we did all the prep work together. We met in Saint-Jean and then we were together till Pamplona, which is four days of walking. And by the okay. time we reach Pamplona, they're like, I got it. Bye. And I okay. kiss them on the cheek and send them on their way and then just be available by email while they're on the trail. So 2023 is very different from 2013. Mm -hmm. There are so many more pilgrims, so many more Facebook groups, mm -hmm. so many people online who are offering advice and helping pilgrims. So mine is going to be definitely a niche. Mm -hmm. I'm really looking for people who not only want some assistance to get started, but want some coaching for what's next in life as well. So after the Camino, then what are you going to do? What's this the lead up for? Well, and I find 
and this is just a personal, is sometimes all those Facebook groups, it's like drinking from a fire hose. There is so <laughs> much information yeah. out and some, and then some contradicts yeah. some of it. And it's just like, yeah, you know, it's hard to discern to go through and really kind of to, it can be a lot. <laughs> It can be a lot. And that's what I'm, what I'm hoping with the do-it-yourself communal planning program I'm working on is that it starts at the beginning from, I think I want to do this. And it works you through the decisions that you have to make, like in the podcast, walks you mm -hmm. all the way through it, but with coaching with me. Mm -hmm. I have workbooks and exercises and things that people do. And we do Zoom calls together and just an end to end rather than a piecemeal and have to figure out. And then you go, well, I didn't think to, to ask that question. I know. Yeah. So the first time pilgrim, what do they need to know? Because the answers that people are giving are not given with the first time pilgrim in mind there. Here's what I did. This is what I did. Well, I'm not going to tell you what I did. I'm going to tell you what you can do. So that's my goal. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Any other questions? I don't, I, I really don't have anything else. Well, I want to ask you one more question. I asked you about challenges and frustrations in getting ready. One of the things I'm always curious about is what are people's superpowers? Because when we get ready for the Camino, we've got to find our skills and bring them forward to help with the planning and preparations. So what would be your superpower that you're using to plan and prepare for your Camino? Well, I think my superpower is I forgot to mention that I have my own or home organizing business. So I would say organization, planning the trip. I put a Google Doc together. So my husband and my daughter's husband knows where we are, addresses, phone numbers, anything to, you know, as I mean, we'll have our cell phones, but you never know. And then really trying to drill down to what is necessary to bring, you know, and really be thoughtful and intentional, not only um, because Spanish Steps does, they have a limit of 30 pounds is for our suitcase. But also when you travel, I just want to, you know, I want to really be mindful of just bringing exactly what I need and not too much. Because sometimes I do that, you know, when you, when you, Either you're taking a car trip or, you know, you're, it's a weekend, but you can fill up the suitcase and, you know, <laughs> I'm very familiar with that plan. Yeah. <laughs> I joke that I know how to travel light, but I just don't bother. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always say, I just want options, you know, uh -huh. I know, but this, I want to, you know, I, I also, the clothing is, will be more critical. And I also am going to see if I can just do a carry on. I'm nervous oh. about getting, you know, I never have, I haven't had issues getting luggage loss, but it would be because we've got a kind of a tight itinerary. I wouldn't want to have that be delayed. Yeah. It would throw things off, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. It would throw things off. Well, traveling with two people, one of the things you can do is one of you check a bag and the other one do a carry-on and you can put all the truly essential things in the bag that's going on the plane. And then the other staff that's like, yeah, I can replace that without too much trouble. That can get checked. That is a great idea. Divide and conquer. 
Yes. But I do feel your, I feel that fear with you of what if it goes missing? Yeah. And because the Camino is not next door to Madrid where you're flying into. Yeah. So you do want to think about that. And then I, um, I have a practice. It's very silly. It's so silly. When I check a bag, I always blow it a kiss and say, see you in Madrid. See you in San Francisco. And I really kiss it and tap it. And the, the person checking me in also always looks at me like, okay. <laughs> but do you know, in, I've traveled a lot, a lot, a lot for both business and pleasure. And I have never once had a bag go missing or be delayed except for one time when my flight was canceled and I was delayed. So it arrived after me, but that's in, you know, hundreds of trips. So it works. Yeah. And so I'm going to take your idea. I love that. Yeah. So good. So I love that superpower because a lot of people will say that's what they learn on the Camino is that they don't need everything they think they need. And they come home from the Camino and clean house and get rid of stuff. So it sounds like maybe you've already done that. Yeah. I can't wait to hear what you do walk away with from walking the Camino. All right. Anything else you'd like to share or any other tips for our listeners? No, no. I really appreciate you sharing your story because it is your circumstances are unique. And first time I've had anyone talk about this scenario. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Well, and I guess just one thing I can add is, yeah, I think if there's a, like a little bit of a glimmer, you know, of something if you, of thinking of doing the Camino, there are options mm. that you don't have to walk at all or walk it with a backpack. You know, there are options out there. And I think that's, you know, I think that's just a, a good life lesson to, to walk away from that. There's options to do things differently and, and do a little research and you can find it. That's great. You know, Laura, one of the things I've been saying for years is we don't all live our lives the same way. Why would we walk the Camino the same way? Some of us live in houses, some in apartments, some rent rooms, some have cars, some ride a bike, some take the bus, some have big bank accounts, some have little bank accounts. We're all doing it differently. And so the Camino gives us the chance to dial into what's right for us and then go into that internal journey, which is really what a pilgrimage is all about. It's a great point. Thanks for making that. Yeah. Just talking to you gets me so excited. <laughs> yeah, it does. It just gets, well, and I also... Because I have to tell you, in the beginning, I thought, oh my gosh, is this like, I'm doing Camino light. And is it, is it not truly a pilgrimage? Because I'm not walking the whole thing with a backpack. You know? Yeah, what do you think? And I'm feeling like, you know, it's okay. Mm. And I think it's more my internal, you know what I mean? Like, should I be doing it this way? And it's like, no. I, I, I have to do it. What works for me. So not everybody has three, four, five weeks, six weeks to go. And not everybody who has that time wants to use it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even if you have a life of leisure and you don't have a work responsibilities or family responsibilities, you might not want to spend a month walking the Camino. 
I think it's important to note that. All right. Well, I will look forward to talking with you after. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Nancy. Best wishes for your for your walk. Bye. Bye-bye.